The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. Nathaniel Wright, Christopher Poots, David Wetlofer, Garage Mahal. Garage Mahal doesn't have a real name other than like, It's only Garage Mahal. It's just and a if place. anybody presses me on it, I tell them that I'd have to kill them if they figured out where we are. People don't realize that we put a bag over people's heads and blindfold them to <laughs> the bring them here. A few times they've come here, yeah. Um, which is fine because that's how I get brought around too. Bag over it. I'm just fine. You doing well, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Better than I deserve. Life is good. C.J. Mahaney right there, a little better than I deserve. Yeah. That's who said that, right? Yeah, The Cross of Christ by C.J. Mahaney is, I think, where I got that from. Yeah. Nice. I say that fairly frequently. The one that I say the most, I, people don't care about this, but I say it all the time. Somebody like, how are you doing? I'm like, better now that I've seen you. But it's like, <laughs> you've made my day. Sometimes it comes across a little bit weird because you'll say it to somebody and I'm just like, what do you mean by that? And be like, it's just a phrase. Like, it's rather than saying fine, because I hate that. How are you doing? I'm fine. Are you fine? Are you really? Like, I don't know. Anyway. Are you actually fine? Yeah. This is what happens when we don't have anything planned. We're just going to like answer some questions. So we're just randomly talking and it's all good. But we are members of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Proud members? Yep. I would say we're, we're still proud members. Forever um, proud. <laughs> that sounds gay. It does sound gay. I yeah. realized it. And then I was like, <laughs> I was tra- in my mind, I was like, is that one of their phrases? No, it's not. You just, good. You just gayed the network. <laughs> I did not mean to. A.D. Robles is going to do an entire series on you. <laughs> the coming out of Christopher Poots. How the rise how, and fall of Chris Poots. How David Platt has influenced Chris Poots. I don't boy. know why that's so funny to me. Uh, um, do it, A.D. I'll pay you. I didn't get 10 people to say about soccer. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I've had a do- couple. So there you go, guys. He needs 10 fans to listen regularly to his show about Premier Soccer would it be about, well, whatever. Yeah. I'm not, we, I'm not wasting any time talking about it because clearly the people don't want to hear it. We got more than 10 saying, can we just actually cancel them from the podcast period? Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Apparently yeah. it is. Um, we didn't put that out there, but thank you for your feedback. <laughs> we appreciate it. I'm related to him. He has yeah. no choice. Uh, so just a couple of things we talked about these last week. So I'll just gloss over them really quickly. A couple of things coming up in terms of uh, the calendar speaking engagements. The Mission of God conferences, they are uh, December 2nd, December 9th, both Saturdays. Uh, the 2nd, Harvest Windsor in Windsor, Ontario, and Fairview Baptist Church on the 9th. That's Tim Stevens Church in Calgary. And there's a, uh, a sort of uh, information and practical application and Q&A the Friday night before, specifically designed for church leaders, but for anybody who uh, thinks that they would benefit from that. If you're in town, feel free to sign up. And you can go to the EzraInstitute.com, just go to the Training Programs tab, and click on the Mission of God conference. And that's how you can sign up there. Okay, so I have a question for you. Yep. I got a message on Facebook 
asking how would somebody go about booking the rebels to speak, but oh also specifically how to book just you <laughs> like, uh, to reach out at a conference. So how would somebody book now that you're the director of Ezra Canada? How would, how would somebody get you to come speak at one of their events? Yeah. So you could, uh, you could reach out either to me. So if you want me to speak uh, in terms of uh, my capacity with Ezra, Probably the best way if you're just looking for me to come and speak is nwright at ezrainstitute.com or even better because I'm bad administratively is uh, to email our administrator, Regan Underwood. So that's runderwood at ezrainstitute.com and just inquire there. That's probably the best way to uh, to get me to come speak and I'd love to speak. Brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, I like, to, I like to talk about the Bible. So if that's what you want me to talk about, I'm good to do that. And you'll say yes if it's about post-millennialism. So. That is true. My, one of my favorite things in the whole world is to change people's eschatology. So are you at a dispensational church? Would you like to be at a post-millennial church? Please book me. <laughs> and I'm confident of success because the Bible tells me it will. That's right. Amen. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So speaking of that, what we wanted to kind of talk about today was actually to, we've had some questions come in. So there you go. One down, one down question, how to book. But we've had some questions come in. One of them I think will probably take the bulk of the episode because we haven't talked about this yet, though other podcasts in our network have. So I will will refer people to those things. But we have a few different questions that have come in. So I don't know, like people reach out to you on social media. I I respond to the emails. Have you got any more on social media? Just the one that I know you're referring to. Do you want me to ask you then? No, no, let's, uh, let's ask some of these other ones first. So one of the questions came in by email. It was kind of referring back to our biblical cosmology series. And it was asking about witchcraft and we didn't do a particular episode on witchcraft. Oh, that um, would have been a good one. Yeah. But the, the sort of the question is, what do we think about witchcraft? Is it real? Is there power in it? How should Christians respond to it? So a bunch of questions kind of rolled into one there. So let's just take five or 10 minutes to kind of unpack this. And I guess my first big response is the Bible doesn't tell us not to do things that aren't real. Right. So the, exactly. the Bible, the Bible doesn't say like, don't jump off a cliff and wave your arms to fly. Because the idea here is like, if the Bible prohibits witchcraft and sorcery, it's not because there is no such thing as witchcraft and sorcery. It's because there is such a thing and it is actually evil and not something that God wants us to do. Yeah. So is it real? Yes. yes. Short answer. Uh, yeah. I was going to say the witch of Endor is a, yep. obviously a clear example in scripture of, of a real one. Obviously the prophets of Baal do things that are... Yep. We would say witchcraft, warlock, or whatever. The magicians uh, in the court of Pharaoh are able to mimic some of the signs and wonders that Aaron and Moses do, including throwing their staffs down and turning them into not snakes. Read the text. Read the Hebrew into dragons. <laughs> Dragon battles. It's yeah. Pretty pretty wizardly cool stuff. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So we absolutely witchcraft is real. Yeah. Um, I would say it's not probably what you think of. Like it's probably not like warted nose, nosed. Right. girls in black doing things like that. But like witchcraft is absolutely something that's real. We have, I won't say the names, because, but like we have multiple people in our church who have been saved out of the occult yeah. in the last few years. And some of their stories about just like some of the things that they were witnessing done, yeah. like love potions that worked, things like that. Like Well, and even it, I remember, and she did a phenomenal job sharing her testimony when she got baptized. Again, I won't say the name, but there's a, a lady at the church who was heavily involved in some of this stuff. And her testimony, I think, shook some people in our church because one of the beautiful things that's happened at our church over the last couple of years is like people getting saved from all corners and walks of life. And so some of the testimonies have kind of shook some Christians just because you're getting people who ha- who don't have their traditional sort of, I grew up in the church, I walked away, I, you know, I rebelled in this way and came back. Now there's anything wrong with those testimonies, but 
just people who have been involved in the occult and, and witchcraft and prostitution and, and all kinds of crazy stuff and how to share those testimonies in a family integrated service has been a, an interesting thing. But she shared about a sort of high holiday in terms of the witch coven that she was in and this ceremony where they were summoning a dark spirit. And it was in the middle of that seance. And she doesn't say this like, you know, in our imaginations or like, no, no, they, they summoned a dark spirit and this dark spirit did things for them in exchange for worship. It gave them everything from the, some of them required, you know, asked for wealth and prosperity and health and orgasms. And there's all kinds of various things that these demonic entities can do. So yes, absolutely. I think witchcraft is real. It's true. What sort of power does it have, I guess, is the, is the big question yeah, for people, big, right? Yeah. And I would just say it's not like, uh, what's that that movie, Sword in the Stone, right? Where they have the witches battle and they're turning into dragons and all that. Like that, we're not talking shape-shifting. We're like, we're not talking about these kinds of extra fantastical things. But I do think when you think about what power do demons have, and if that power can be accessed through witchcraft, through connection to the demonic and through some sort of pledge of allegiance or, or in exchange for worship, that's the kind of power that witchcraft can bring about. So I, I do think like what we see in scripture, and, and so I'll just kind of use a couple of examples. We know that there was an evil spirit, incidentally, from the Lord that came upon Saul and drove him into a rage, right? We know that there was a spirit in a young boy that caused him to have epileptic seizures in the New Testament. We know that demons gave a spirit of a python that was in a young girl in the book of Acts, gave her the ability to see the future and to prophesy about things that were going to come. And that that was actually profitable. It made the the people who had control of her money. We know that the sons of Sceva had the snot kicked out of them by by uh, demon possessed individuals. We know that the the demoniac that was at the Decapolis was strong enough to break chains and to to attack and and overpower multiple men. So these are the kinds of things that demons can do for people. Now, I would just say that witchcraft is not the channeling of that power. Witchcraft is in exchange for worship, in exchange for depraved things. Demons will then do things for people. But the demons are far more powerful than the person who's controlling. Any person who thinks that they have any sort of control over this is just deluding themselves. The demon is the one in control. The demon is the one who's utilizing his power in the way that he wants. And if it serves him or it in such a way that he will respond and do that thing for the, the person who's asking, yeah. it will. But at the end of the day, it's serving its own dark purposes. So yeah, it's, it's like when the uh, like when Christ is tempted, right? Yeah. There's the like bow down before me and worship me, and I That's will right. give you all the kingdom. That's right. Which implies like he he they, one they were his to give, but then two he's like he could do that. He wasn't lying about the fact that he could give the kingdoms, and it's like but what he wanted out of that was worship, right? Like, yeah. And so like you you think on a, on that's on a, a massive scale, but think of it on a, on a smaller scale. But like these things are real, but in exchange for worshiping like sacrifice, whatever it is that's required of you, they can give you pleasure that's or right. a little bit of wealth. Right. And like, we all know those, those things are lies, but like, it's not a lie that they can do it. It's a lie that they're actually going to give it to you. You know what yeah, I mean? Cause like right. they'll give you something that turns to ash in your mouth. Right. Like, but like absolutely witchcraft is, is a real thing. And I think that like, this is why, like, again, like I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was C.S. Lewis, but like the best lie the devil ever pulled on us is to convince everybody that he's not real, right? Like, wasn't that usual suspects? Wasn't that Kaiser Soze who said? It? <laughs> 
<laughs> C.S. Lewis said that there's two equal and opposing errors. One is like over fascination with with demons, and the other is to pretend they don't exist. But you know, Kaiser so sometimes says, Kaiser says, 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 the reason those kind of testimonies rub so many Christians in a weird way nowadays is that we've literally, for fear of dabbling in it, which is a good thing, we don't dabble in it, yep. but for fear that we've actually run, and I would say this is where the reform people are most at fault, like we've kind of run so far the other way that we haven't actually even taught in our churches about this stuff. Like when, when, the, when the passages about demons come up, it's almost like we regulate all that to just that time period. And I actually do think like, it was more prevalent at that time than it is maybe today because obviously the Messiah is around at that time, but we've kind of forgotten that that's still a thing. And so when we come up against witchcraft, the default position for many Christians is to be like, it's all BS. It's all hokey. And it's like, no, no, like the reason these people stay in it is because there is something there. We have to wrestle it. But like, I think the teaching should always end on like, greater is he who is in you than he is who he who is in the world. Right. So like we have nothing to fear of that if you're in Christ, but like there's still something there, right? Like, yeah, um, so for sure. Yeah. Let's leave that one there. Cause I want to get to this next one. Cause I think the third question that we have, will probably take the remainder of the episode. I won't get into all of this. This is a really great email. I, I'm actually going to forward this to you because it's uh, I, and I won't say the name of the person, but They have a lot of great things to say. And if you're listening to this, I will respond to your email or I will send it to Chris and he will. The question here is, I would say a lot of what you discuss really resonates with me. However, I find the episode election apologetics very confusing with the five points of Calvinism. And it's not because I reject it outrightly. I just find it hard to see it in a way you see it. I would like to understand it better and equip myself better to be able to understand to be a better disciple. Thing is, if I go into any conversation with someone and start by saying God has selected only certain people, I would most definitely not get their attention in a positive way. I myself am very unsure on how to deal with this. I would say this is probably the most challenging episode that I've found of yours so far. However, I do get what you mean and how you see this in scripture. So I guess there's not a, a particular question, although he does say at the end, I'm not really an avid reader, but I would love some suggestions of books to strengthen my discipleship. So let's give this guy um, some resources to look at. And maybe like, what's your quick, like we get this question a lot, right? And I would just say, there's people in our church who are not five-point Calvinists, who are not reformed in their soteriology. We're trying to figure out what it looks like to be a big eclectic family with various theological perspectives. But we do believe in what is generally called Calvinism. We we don't use that term from the pulpit very often, not because we don't embrace it, simply because it's, it's confusing for some people. It comes with baggage for some people. It gives people a term to Google, which is usually <laughs> something I don't like to do. But I would just say, you get this question all the time. I get this question all the time. Like when people come and they say, you know, I love the church love what you're doing because this is sort of like I love the podcast love what you're doing but the Calvinism has me a little bit iffy what do you what's your response to that yeah if it's somebody in our church be like that's okay I'm post-millennial and I'm Calvinistic so like I actually think I'll convince you you know what I mean like and so like it's okay that you don't feel that way because like your beliefs on the doctrine of grace don't save you we're justified by God's grace alone through faith alone but like if you've got that skewed in your head or if you haven't seen that yet I actually think you understanding those doctrines is grace God's given you to understand it, right? Like, so I would say like, you're in the right place. You know what I mean? So like join with us. But like, I think the writer is also saying like, well, like 
practically speaking, when I go out and street right. preach, I don't walk up and be like, God is elected or he hasn't. Yeah. What's are you elected? Like, yeah. and it's like, no, no, that doesn't come up because it's a theological, like right. it's kind of an in-house talk rather right. than an out. Like if somebody asked me the question, like, is God drawing me? And I'm like, I'm like, well, I don't know that. Do you want to become a Christian? It's not something I would say is like an evangelistic tool for us to do, but I only go out on the streets and preach because I believe God is sovereign and that there are people who are elect who have yet to be brought into the kingdom. Like, I can't remember the, the verse where Paul says he went back into the town because there were still people there that God had given us. And They're so, still elect among those in the yeah, city. And yeah, and so I'm thinking like, like it's not, but I wouldn't lead with God is sovereign over your salvation. Like, even though that is true, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like I'm reasoning from like, let me back up a little bit too. I would say, the problem is that there's this default position that people think Calvinists, and I think it comes from a lot of bad Calvinists, basically, is that what we do in terms of outreach and, and evangelism is kind of like God's going to bring who he's going to bring. And it's like no real Calvinist thinks that way, right? Like, right. And that's, so like that's kind of a it, mischaracterization. It, exactly, right? So like, it's, it's we don't go out and just be like, we're pleading and we're ta- like evangelism is a lot more proclamation and declaration than it is pleading somebody into the kingdom. You can't argue anybody into salvation. And so it's like, I'm just declaring what is true, but I'm not walking out there and being like, you're either a lecture or not. Like when that question comes up, you answer the question because it's, I don't apologize for what I think God's word says. But if we're talking about like evangelism, it's not going to come up that often. If it's in-house debates, let's go to the scriptures and just reason together from the scriptures. And I have good friends who don't believe this. That's okay. By default, I want them to change their position, but by default, they want me to change my, like, you know what I mean? So, and so, and the only thing I would add to that is don't study the system of Calvinism. And we'll give you some resources that actually probably will study a little bit, but like the main thing I would say is like, go to John 15, 16, where where Jesus is saying, you know, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Go to John chapter six, where Jesus is saying like, all those that the father draws will come to me. You know, those that God has given to me, not one will be plucked from my hand. John six, John 10. I just pulled up Ephesians 1 because I think Ephesians 1 and 2 get, get into this quite a bit. What does it mean when it talks about God the Father uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to him as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him things in heaven and things on the earth then he goes on to talk about how you receive the Holy Spirit at the moment that you believe that's your the guarantee of your inheritance and chapter 2 starts you were so prior to all of that prior to and what are the, some of those things being predestined to be adopted in the family of God being chosen you're chosen right you didn't choose me I chose you and chose you to bear fruit that would last chosen before the foundation of the world, it said, right? Predestined for adoption. And it says before that, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up 
with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And then it even goes on. We are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's just take some of those key pieces out and read them together. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right? So the whole idea there, as you just study God's word, is the picture is that because, and Romans 5 says this, Adam sinned, and through one man's sin, death spread to all men, for all have sinned. So we are dead in our trespasses. We are born in a state of spiritual deadness. And in that state of spiritual deadness, we are dead to all the things of God. And until God makes us alive together with Christ, as it says in Ephesians 2 verse 4, until that happens, we remain in our dead state. So the picture that we're talking about here is some people say evangelism is like us throwing water preservers to people who are drowning and they choose whether or not to grab them. But I would just say a more accurate picture is Christ is diving down into the pool and grabbing dead bodies from the bottom of the pool and pulling them out onto the side and resuscitating them. That's a better picture of what evangelism is. So I just say, like, when you're asking the question about Calvinism, is it's just a way of understanding what happens when we get saved. And we would say the only way that people get saved is if God reaches down and he grabs us because nobody is reaching for God. And that's what Romans 3 says. No one is good. No one seeks for God. No, not one, right? I love that too, because like what we're actually then doing when we're evangelizing, we're giving them the defense for the hope that's in us. So that's we're right. telling we're telling the story of like what Christ has done. Right. He's done it for me. He can do it for you because it's up to him. And it's like that idea of like we're not trying to argue who's grabbing and who who's pulling who. It's we're just declaring this is how you be saved. You're saved by God. You right. know what I mean? Like and so we're asking people to respond to that. And so, and this is the other thing that I, I'll often say, if you're thinking about the salvation of your loved ones, salvation comes through two different appeals, okay? So salvation comes through the appeal to the individual to turn from their sin and place faith in Jesus Christ, and it comes through our appeal to God to save people. And what I mean by that is that soteriology and, and Calvinism and all that kind of stuff, that's just the study of, of the mechanism, like what's going on in order for salvation. But the way the New Testament tells us that people are saved is by hearing and declaring, right? It's, it's through repentance and faith. And so we plead with the individual, turn to Christ, and we plead with God, save the person. Because the reality is, is that what turns most people off of quote-unquote Calvinism is the fact that, oh, that means my choices aren't real. God is sovereign. He's written a story. I'm just a robot, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we would just say to that, that's not what the Bible says either. The Bible says we have real choices to make. We are responsible for our actions. And then we're like, wait, how is that possible? Since, listen, oh man, it's not your job to sort that stuff out. It's not my job to sort that stuff out. The Bible says you have a real choice and that you have to choose to follow Christ but the Bible also says that God is sovereign over all things, and he has to shine gospel light into your heart in order to give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear. So the appeal goes both ways. If you have a loved one who's not saved, plead with them to place faith in Jesus Christ and plead with God to shine gospel light into their heart. So the appeal goes both ways. Yeah, I think there's a great just practice in terms of like just how Christians should default when there's disagreement in scriptures. Basically, it's what you did to me when you converted me to Calvinism was like, we argued for like probably two solid years. Well, yep. like, 
about it. And the holdup for me was I remember choosing. I remember sitting at a Harvey's being like, I would like to become a Christian. Right. And so I I, choose God. I choose God. I choose to follow this, like the benefits and all that stuff. I want that. I want Christ in my life. And I remember having that thought and then saying, Ray, I would like to become a Christian. Yep. And then you were arguing how that even came to fruition. So the premise that actually ended up winning the argument, so to speak, was, okay, you think something different than I think about what scripture says. So let's both be willing to lay aside our presuppositions. Let's lay aside what we think we know and just go to the word of God. And what does the Bible say? Reading it, read it and come to the conclusion. I think I got to the Psalms before I was like, oh, okay, God is sovereign over my election. It's very evident. Right. But it takes that mentality to be like, if we're fully committed to just we're people of the Bible and we are willing to lay aside what we think it says versus what it actually says, I think a passage like Ephesians 2 is crystal clear. But it's crystal clear because I'm convinced now. But it isn't crystal clear if you bring something into the text to say, well, here's why it's saying what it's not saying. Yeah. Before you can get to the point where we can start seeing some of these things. And this, this could be about baptism. It can be about tons of different avenues in scripture. We have to be willing to go back and be reformed by what the word of God says. Semper refer- reformender, right? Like imagine if Martin Luther didn't do that, right? Yeah. Like if he was just like, I don't see transubstantials. I can't say the word apparently um, in scripture, but you know what? It's got to be there. So I'm just not going to. And it's like, no, no. He went back and looked and was like, what did he see? Faith alone through grace alone through like, and it's like all of a sudden the reformation happens. And so there's a benefit of going back to the word is what I'm saying. Totally, so, totally. Yeah. Okay, I want to get to this last question, and we only have about nine minutes before uh, we got to wrap up. So um, here's what I will say. So the, the, this is the question we thought we'd spend half an hour on, but we spent half an hour on the other two questions. And that is the question of how should Christians be thinking about the war in Israel? So here's what I would say. First of all, we don't have the time to get into all the geopolitical aspects of what's going on there. But I would point back to two different podcasts on the network. And I think the Cross Politic guys have done something on this as well, but I didn't listen to that episode yet. So Dr. Aaron Rock did on the Leadership Now podcast a whole episode on Israel. Joe Boot just did one on the uh, Ezra podcast for Cultural Reformation. Him and Ryan talked about uh, Israel and Islam and what's going on there. So we would just recommend and affirm the general messages of both of those Mm. guys. I think they both did a really good job on that podcast. But let's answer the question as we do, right? Joe was thorough and theological and academic and answered it very, very thoroughly. Let's just answer very practically, how should Christians be thinking about the war in Israel? There's a couple of aspects that I would say. Number one, we have to stop equating modern day Israel with biblical Israel. Okay? Absolutely. I think that's kind of the biggest issue that I see going on with a lot of Christians. And don't get me wrong, when there's war in the Middle East, when there's turmoil, this isn't the the best time to be correcting people's theology on this, right? This is why we ought to have our theology sorted out prior to these things. So I don't want to go into a big, long thing. If what I just said offends you, then, you know, let's talk about it after this dies down in the Middle East. But we have to stop equating modern-day Israel with biblical Israel. And in order to do that, we can even just kind of go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and just and just keep going further, because when we make modern-day Israel equivalent to biblical Israel, then what we're essentially saying is that there are two people of God, 
that there's ethnic Israel, which God deals with in a particular way. Because I've seen a lot of Christians who have posted on social media, you know, Israel is God's chosen people. This is God's chosen nation and all that kind of stuff. And I would just say, like, we're really on thin ground when we start to say things like that, because Ephesians 2 gets very, very specific when Paul says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, dividing wall of hostility was the uh, the dividing wall that separated the outer court of the Gentiles with the inner court of the Jews. So it was, it was a physically, literally a wall that separated Jew and Gentile in the second temple. How do you do that? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Listen to that. One new man in place of the two. So what is modern day Israel? Modern day Israel is merely a nation that has rejected God. It has rejected Christ as the Messiah, and you do not get to God without faith in Christ. Yeah. The practical aspect of this is is you have to flesh out the ramifications of theology, like ideas have consequences. Yes. The problem with the thinking Israel is something special means that God has two plans of salvation running at both times, and it's like, no, no. One, that's just not in scripture. And so two, like that, but that's, oh, like the whole point is that there's been one plan from the beginning. At the Tower of Babel, when God separated the nations, he kept the remnant of Israel for himself. But at one point, they were all one nation. The idea in in the New Testament is like the Gentiles are getting grafted back into that true Israel, right? Like, and so what we're saying is like, it's very dangerous if Christians put like a pedestal on on Israel on ethnic Judaism. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, I I 100% agree with your with your first comment of like, this isn't the time to walk around saying these kind of things because like the, the tensions People's tensions are high. Exactly. Yeah. Like just like just like what happens every after every school shooting, which is a travesty. Not the time. Too, to ma- talk, yeah. too many Christians get accused of being like, "Don't go pro gun rights right now. This is a bad time." Get the temperature of the room right yeah. now. The temperature of the room is don't come but like one like israel is an apostate nation yeah and so they're a nation who one crucified the lord yep and hates him still hates him the most yeah i can't remember what it said they knew better i'm not saying go be pro hamas or whatever like no absolutely like yeah like it the travesties need to stop i would actually say like they're the ones perpetrating the travesty right now so like they should yeah yes they should be they should be punished severely for what for what they're doing it doesn't make Israel the hero in the story. I think there are reasons for us to be pro-Israel in this conflict. I think it has more yes. to do with it being a, a Western nation in the Middle East. I think it has more to do with the value system of, of Israel versus the value system. And and don't hear me. I'm not saying Canada or the U.S. is is great in terms of its moral system. We're, we're but a we have nations too. Absolutely. Like, but we do have roots that Hamas, Palestine, that those Muslim nations don't have. So I think there are good biblical reasons to be pro-Israel in this conflict because it was Hamas who, on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur Wars, that's when they launched this sneak attack. I think they killed almost 1,000 people, 5,000 more injured, took over 100 hostages. I didn't see the video. I just saw on on a news source that uh, they executed a grandmother who was um, one of the hostages, and they brought her out and, and killed her publicly. They took a mother 
stripped her down naked, drove her around in a truck and executed her and posted that on social media as well. What Hamas is doing is grotesque and it ought to be condemned. I was actually pleasantly surprised that Justin Trudeau actually came out and, I, and I was condemned so sh- I was so because, shocked by that. Yeah, I was shocked and pleasantly surprised by it. So there are reasons to be pro-Israel. So don't hear what we're not saying. There are reasons to be pro-Israel, but equating modern day Israel with biblical Israel is not one of them. And just to head off the argument that I hear all the time is, is people say, well, that means you believe in replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel. And I would just say replacement theology is a derogatory term that's used as sort of a, a dog whistle to just uh, end this argument. Supersessionism is the term of the reformers. But the point here is that God has always had one people. And for a time, he chose ethnic Israel, but had always grafted Gentiles in. Rahab and Ruth, and God grafts in Gentiles. And then it expands to the point where Paul comes along and says, not everybody who is Israel is true Israel. Circumcision is of the heart. And he talks about wild branches, that's the Gentiles being grafted in, and unfaithful branches being chopped off. That's ethnic Jews who rejected their Messiah were chopped off, and wild branches, which were the Gentiles, were grafted in. But there's always only been one people of God, and that people of God are those people who have been chosen by God's grace, comprised of Jew and Gentile, who only get there through either the promise of the Messiah who was to come, or on this side of the cross, the Messiah who has come. And that's the only way that there's ever been to salvation. Ethnicity doesn't play a part in it. Yeah. Somebody throwing replacement theology at you in this context. Basically, it's the Christian version of calling like, you know, white people, white supremacists, just because they like, it's like, it's a virtue signal. They don't actually even know what that means. Like, so like. They're trying to end the argument. Exactly. They're trying to accuse you. Exactly. They're just trying to throw something at you and be like, oh, you're this. And be like, well, no, I'm not. So like, let's, why don't we actually talk about it? Because like. You're the one that has to do gymnastics because scripture is very clear that yeah. Israel isn't the chosen nation anymore. Like, I want people to hear very clearly: we're not against Israel. Like, we're not saying like that, like or anything because of like the, in this situation in the war. Like, I'm actually on their yeah. side in this fight. Like, I agree. I am Hamas, too. I think, is a terror organization. Yeah. But I'm not pro-Israel because scripture tells me I should be. I'm pro because I'm I'm pro the people who are being oppressed. We talked when the war broke out in Ukraine and we had an episode that we thought we were going to get a lot of hate mail for. We actually got a lot of really supportive emails about that when we were talking about Russia and Ukraine and the the complicated geopolitical situation that was going on there and how Christians should be thinking through this. This is what this podcast is for, to help you think Christianly in a broken, gray-filled world. Here's what I would say. What we shouldn't do is think about a cultural issue based on either faulty foundations. So in this case, it would be, well, modern Israel is the chosen people of God. Okay, that, that's a faulty foundation. That's not good biblical exegesis. But also, we also shouldn't, and I think this sometimes we get into this, right? So like with the war in Ukraine thing, all of a sudden everybody on the left jumped on Ukraine's side. That doesn't mean that the conservatives need to jump on pro-Russia side. And in this, we saw some, I would say, some some liberals, not all, because we just said Justin Trudeau condemned Hamas, but we've seen some pro-Palestine demonstrations in Canada, more, a lot more in the UK. But this isn't a left versus right issue. Like sometimes I think when something happens culturally, people jump and they say, how are my people responding? And they don't know how to think about a situation until they realize, well, what's the right saying? What's the left saying? You know, what's Daily Wire take on this, right? We got to pursue the kind of wisdom and discernment as Christians where we can 
look at a situation and have the kind of biblical wisdom to sort through it and to think logically and recognize that in this particular case, yes, I'm pro-Israel in this particular case, but I can also condemn some of the things that they've done. I think that they've responded in certain ways that aren't necessarily good. Don't get me wrong. Hamas is the bad guys in this situation, but I think we need to be able to, to not blanket statement, well, my side is on this side and therefore my side can do no wrong. Yeah. I think we, we, we have to be more we, biblical than that. Yeah. We have to do away with tribalism. And yeah, like, exactly. And, like even this even goes back to the question previously about like, yeah, Calvinists like, versus like, Norman. Yeah, like, totally. As Christians, we should be trying to find common ground, not with the enemy, but like between each other tribalism needs to be put to death in, in yeah. the, cause like what you're saying is a hundred percent right. How many of us in this situation? And like, I know people who have done this have said nothing until X person publicly makes a statement. And then that's their position. Wait right. till one of my guys says yeah. something. And wait, it's like, no, wait till no, Doug Wilson said, and don't yeah. get me wrong. Doug Wilson's a super smart guy. Right. Like, but in, in terms of news, sometimes it's Ben Shapiro, it's, it's Walsh, it's whatever. Yeah. And that's what we wait for our guy to say the thing. And then we just toe the party line. That's no better than the politicians who are doing the same thing that we've been condemning for a long time. Right. So don't do that. Exactly. Right. Think Christianly. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So, all right. We wrap that one up quickly because I literally have to go, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll be back in garage hall next week. Not to the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's terrible.